Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Have you ever felt depressed about work, only to have your dad be like, why are you so down? So you told him you hate your job, and he said, well, you better talk yourself out of it. And then you thought, hmm, I love to talk. I could host a podcast. And then you went to Spreaker from iHeart and started a podcast and got good at it, then monetized it, then quit your boring job, then told your dad, thanks for the advice. And he was like, well, that's not what I meant, and I don't understand what a podcast is, but you seem happy, so that's great, kiddo. You ever do that? Well, you could. At Spreaker.com. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R. Ask your dad. You actually don't. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Once Upon a Timing, your podcast all about squid ink, starry skies, and do 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 dancing teens. I'm uncomfortable by these scenes. I came up with this on the fly. Da, da, partially. <laughs> that was great. I was like, Thank wow. You. Okay. Okay. You know, I had the dancing teens part down. The rest of it, I just made up as I went along. And I was like, I have to rhyme it a little bit. Because um, I really wanted to convey how uncomfortable this episode made me, Abby. I don't want to talk about this one. It made me so uncomfortable. I... You know what? You're you're not wrong. Um, so I'll just take the angle of I'm happy that you did an ABBA song because they have a new album coming out. So they do. Well, I am Beth Elderkin, and I'm joined as always by the lovely Abby. Abby, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing good. I think we're gonna have a little different energy for today's episode uh, because we're doing it in the AM, and I have I'm got down to like the last half of a pot of coffee at the moment. So yeah. This- gonna get a little wild here i'm just gonna start talking a thousand words a minute so abby are you holding a christmas mug that says slay all day yes i am (laughs) i just bought a peppermint mocha creamer for my coffee and tim said it's too soon and i'm like how dare you it's never too soon i am so ready for the holidays first christmas with baby i cannot wait oh christmases are the best holidays are holidays rule uh and so I'm excited coming into this. I mean, I know all of the, the the world is on fire outside, but, you know, holiday season is coming. Uh, my son has reminded me that Halloween is just around the corner uh, because he has already started workshopping ideas for his Halloween costume. So very excited. Well, in the meantime, we are here to talk about season three, episode four, Nasty Habits, uh, a.k.a. Um, Eyes Wide Shut Kids Bob Edition. <laughs> I don't like this episode and it's not I mean it's it's overall there has some really good moments in this thing I thought there were some really great moments I thought there were some really bad moments most of which all involve rumple with like one or two exceptions but the whole Pied Piper thing Abby I like it in I like the concept I think the concept of Peter Pan being the Pied Piper is fantastic there's so you know it works so well the execution in this episode 
I actually like looked away from my screen a couple times. So I'm like, I'm seeing things I'm not supposed to. Oh no. <laughs> it's it's a bunch of boys dancing around in the woods in, in furry gear. And I'm, I'm, I'm probably reading into it in a way that they didn't intend, but all the same, yikes. Yeah, I, I liked it. I agree with you. I like the Pied Piper angle to it. I think they could have, I don't know. It was, I like the idea that it's a, it's a song that only, you know, lost children can hear and things like that. And I like that the evolution of it, but yeah, it was just, it was a bizarre, it had a bizarre energy that I think. Mm if it would have taken through the whole episode, but like it was this bizarre, dark energy, slightly problematic uh, thing that was also splite, you know, like smash cut to one of, I think Neil's better episodes. I really mm. liked that. And then also, you know, uh, again, more charming, trying not to, t- <laughs> trying not to tell people that he's dying and then being surprised to find out that they would be upset that he die. And Emma coming to an emotional, uh, an emotional peak, all that spliced together made it a very, very tough episode to, to gather, uh, tonally. Yeah. There's a lot of uncomfortable moments. A lot of them are, are really, really good and we're going to get into them, but then there's just the boys thing. And then given what we know about Peter Pan later on. This could be interpreted in so many bad ways. And I will, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm going to be gentle talking about it. But anyway, alas. So we do have some international titles for this episode in that we yes. have two. Uh, one of them is a little boring. And then the other one I just thought was fantastic. And of course, again, it's the German one because the German titles are always amazing. So the French one is Les Enfants Perdus, which is The Lost Children. Uh, and then the German one is I'm gonna again gonna butcher it. Hot ear di melody des rotten fangers, which is do you hear the melody of the Pied Piper? Okay, first of all, they should have just called it the German title with the German words. I don't care what it was, the way that that all sounded together, that was the tone they were going for. Yes, <laughs> that was awesome. This is this is very much like there are occasionally times where once upon a time really kind of harkens back to the original horror elements of fairy tales because these originally started as really messed up things designed to scare children into not wandering off into the woods because you may not come back. And also to, you know, try and use magical realism to explain the, we're having a camera moment. Hello, Abby. How are you doing? I'm great. I can't see you anymore. I know. Your your camera's not working. Mm. Internet internet internet's fun i feel lost now i cannot see your face but that's okay that's all right we are going to get through this so let's go ahead and we're gonna go ahead and start in let's uh, should we get the we should save the pied piper stuff why don't we start back in neverland with neil having arrived and he is ready to go and he is but he's immediately captured by a piece of shit felix i don't know how because it was just one guy and Neil's bigger than him. I I just also really like the energy of Neil versus Felix because <laughs> Neil's energy this entire episode is just, I am an adult man. You cannot bully me. I refuse to be bullied by Felix. It was my favorite. 
Yeah, he's great in this episode. Like we've talked about before how there are times where Neil presents that he is familiar with this world, but he hates the fact that he's familiar with it. This one had elements of that, but it was more just like, I am here to get a job done. I'm here to get my son. I'm going to use all the tools in my toolbox. And the tools in my toolbox are, I know how this world works, but I don't have to be limited by it. I am not a boy anymore. I'm a big grown man. And I'm going to, you know, it didn't feel petty. Like, "Eh, I'm a big boy now. You can't bully me. It was more just like, come on, guys, I'm a grown up. We don't have to do this. Yeah, this, this, uh, speaking of my Slay All Day Cup, this had, uh, Hallmark, uh, (laughs) Hallmark movie written all over it where it's just, uh, boy grows up in town he doesn't like, goes off and becomes a big shot, but then begrudgingly has to return and tries to stand up to his childhood bullies. Yes, and and he does so- I went off to become a, I went off to become a big city lawyer. You can't, you can't talk down to me. I don't care how many bars you own, Brenda. (laughs) Yeah, and it it is kind of interesting because you time moves differently in Neverland. Peter Pan is, for all intents and purposes, immortal. It's probably hundreds, if not thousands, of years old. The Lost Boys, once they get to the island, it seems like they stop aging because that's what happened to Balefire. So Balefire could have been on Neverland for a century. I, I think he was because when he left, it was like, what, the 70s, like 60s or 70s or something when he got yeah. back to. So he was there for at least 50 years and didn't age a day. So, you know, you have Neil coming back and saying, I'm a grown up. Does Felix still have the mind of a teenager or is it kind is it like an interview with the vampire situation where his body stays the same, but his mind ages? I, I, I don't know. What do you think? So I was thinking about this as well. Um, because <laughs> I've, I've had a very unique perspective and I, I'm going to try not to tie everything to my current life experience, but I am right now in a class, like in classes with people who are fresh out of high school. Um, and it's a lot of people trying to find the way that they are because it's the first time they're, they're away from their parents. They're getting to express the world. And so these kids at the age that they are, uh, have more of a developed sense of self because it's different than like an an abducted eight-year-old who is just like an extension of a parent with some thoughts and ideas like these like Felix at least is like probably very close to voting age based solely on everything about him I, I gather uh so I would think where I'm coming from this is I think that probably he does get some more Um, I'm not going to say maturity, but he does gather that life experience in which he is learning. But again, he's only surrounded by this Lord of the Flies island of misfit teenagers. Mm. So there's only so much maturing he can be capable of. Because at no point does he have to face his own mortality, which is something that parents have to do that's what parents and adults do they they suddenly realize that they're getting older they have to take care of like the younger kids like he probably has a big brother vibe but not like a paternal vibe so he didn't he didn't mature into being a full-fledged adult man but he does have more life experience and the only way he knows how to interact with other people is by bullying them to be dominant and that's just how he operates because that's all he has ever needed to do I agree. That's actually a really good point. 
Um, and you know, it's a it's a a, a card in Neil's favor because uh, Neil realizes that Felix still can't tie a knot properly because he didn't have an adult to show him how. So he just <laughs> he gets he gets escapes and then clocks him in the face. Oh, uh, that was Damn. probably so satisfying for him. Mm-hmm. Because again, Felix has never gotten any bigger. He just stays the same size, but like. Last time Neil was near him, he was small and meek mm-hmm. and not bigger. Now he's tall and he's strong and he doesn't care. And it's just like, that's what you want. Like, that's the, this is the bullied kid inside of you. Like, you just want to, as a full-fledged adult, go back and like, you know, dress down a, a 13-year-old girl for telling you that your eyebrows need plucked. But like, you can't do that because that's it, it, insane. But it's a fun little thought experiment. This this was satisfying to watch for me. But what wasn't satisfying is the following moment with our own Rumpelstiltskin. For some reason, it starts with him putting like what can only be called war paint on his face. Oh, just what three was... lines. What was this? Listen, and we'll get to it with the dancing around the fire scenes. But I mean, what's a Peter Pan story without like? problematic native <laughs> problematic native american imagery oh my goodness this episode <sighs> there's a yeah there's a lot of it and that's another reason why this episode was uncomfortable for me because there his his reasoning that he explains to the manifestation of bell which i'm coming to accept is rumpelstiltskin's i like this is the bell he's always wanted one that does not exist and when she's there at his command all she does is reinforce what he feels inside. She's not there to challenge him. She is there to be a reflection of his personality and then disappear when he tells her to go away. This is the bell he's always dreamed of, and he has it finally. I just, I mean, I think what would have really solidified this is if it was that version of Bell, but she was, she looked like Lacey. If that makes <laughs> sense, where mm-hmm. like he was like pu- pushing an amalgamation of her, like because that's that's what I think would have would have cemented a little bit better. Not like being like a weird gross thing, but like having her be very visually different than the bell we know. Mm. But I also think that that is me projecting about how I feel about the storyline of the bell he is with versus the bell he thinks that he's with are two 100% different people. They, they are, or at least we want them to be, but eventually they do converge and become one person but that's just a conversation for another time. Because in the meantime, Mr. Gold put three stripes on his face because he needs to embrace the monster within because he says over and over again that he needs to find his inner monster because he's going to die to save Henry. He has accepted this. Now, originally, he keeps telling Belle and later Neil that he's doing this because you have to be willing to die to defeat Pan. But the real reason is... Because, and this is what Neil points out, you don't want to live because if you live, you have to make a decision later whether you're going to kill my son and I don't know what you're going to choose. And he doesn't know what he's going to choose. He kind of admits to Belle later. I don't know. I might kill him. We'll see. Well, and this whole storyline, they they just didn't get their arms around it. Like this could have been a very provocative thing and they they got really close. They got so close and then just suddenly just uh, just whiffed it completely uh, because the conversation here is that Rumpel is trying to to be a hero out of grief. 
and he is he is going to die for his son's like child because he thinks that that's what heroes do. He doesn't believe it. And that's why he talks about you have to be willing to die to face Pan and this, that, and the other thing. Because as we know, it has yet to be revealed, there are a lot of layers to his problems with Pan. And mm-hmm. so this this whole, you know, he's going to and then he doesn't and then he's not going to and these nasty little habits, blah, blah, blah. It falls apart very quickly, but I loved the setup because I was like, oh, this is going to be great. This is going to make him like stare at a mirror of himself and realize that what he's doing isn't right or isn't being done in good faith. It's just being done out of grief. I agree on one hand, but on the other, I I personally don't feel that grief is the primary motivation. I feel the primary motivation is him still being a coward because the coward's way out in this situation for him is to not have to make the choice he doesn't want to have to choose Henry over himself by, by like, cause it's like, Oh, you're going to be my undoing. Fine. Be my undoing. I choose this. He wants to get ahead of the game because he doesn't want to have to choose death for himself in, in that moment. Cause if he has to choose between himself and Henry, when he's faced with this happy ending, he's going to choose himself and he knows it. So I think grief is part of it, but I think a really big part of it is his cowardice. He knows he's going to make the wrong decision. So he's instead putting himself on a path where he won't have to make that choice. Agreed. I mean, I also didn't like the line where it was just like, wait, you know, I'm still in story, like this is projection bell being like, I'm still in Storybrooke. And he's just like, I think we both knew that that was a goodbye forever. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure real bell did not gather that. So chicken. So you're right. It's a cowardice thing. I always forget about his little coward thing because it only comes up when it's, you know, convenient for the plot. Yeah, yeah. So he talks with Belle, sends her away. He knocks out a couple lost boys. He's getting their weapons. He is on the hunt for Pan. And there we go. Neil shows up. And this moment, I actually, I liked this scene a lot because Rumple immediately assumes this is another manifestation of his imagination. And... Neil is having a lot of trouble convincing him and I liked this a lot because it really, it tracked with where we see Rumple, where we see him kind of slowly losing his grip on reality and using the people in his life as manifestations of his own inner feelings and he flat out admits it, you're here to represent my guilt, I'm not having any of it because I have a job to do. I felt like Neil saying Papa, like, I guess maybe it's the way he said it. Because I feel like a manifestation would say that. Oh, yeah, I agree. I didn't like the the thing that snapped Rumple out of it. I, but yeah. I also, I've been thinking about it, and I'm like, again, based on Rumple's shallow interactions with every single person in his life, there's not a single thing that I think even a manifestation of Bell, Balefire, probably, you know, anybody would be able to say to convince him of that. Like, I, with the way Rumple's character is, he would think everything was a trick. Mm-hmm. So saying Papa like that, I mean, for God's, he believed August when he said it and it was the worst thing ever. So no, I don't believe this at all, but I, I agree with you. I like that he was immediately suspicious and be like, no, you're another one of my uh, figments of my imaginations on my morality quest. He's like, what are you talking about? No, that's me. It's me. I'm alive. 
Well, they have their their brief reunion and Rumpel and Neil come to an understanding of like, we got to get Henry. Rumpel is, is fully on the path of it's going to kill me. And I'm cool with that. Neil says, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have to do that. I, I can have him and live. Why don't we do that instead? So here's what we're going to do. And this is where Neil is a true badass. I just loved this whole scene where Rumpel is basically push to the sidelines because it is the Neil show now. He knows this world. He has a plan and Rumpel is in the sidecar. And I'm cool with that because Neil just goes out to the water. He's like, he grabs a shell, says, hey, we're going to get some of that squid ink. You know how to use it. Wink, wink. And he bowls on the shell, <laughs> squid. One spear knocks it dead forever. I was surprised because normally this kind of just. I think he just pulls it forward. I don't think he kills it. I mean, it, it wasn't moving anymore. You, you did this? Did the, did the squid just go to sleep or go? Well, I'm caught. I might as well take a nap. Maybe the squid was like, "Oh, it's Balefire. Okay, he's not gonna kill me. He just needs like a little bit of ink. Okay, I'm just gonna sit here very quietly and wait for this to be over, and then I'm just gonna go back to being a squid. Uh, that's what I'm gonna believe, and I okay. I reject any other theory. So, so it's Aqua Neil now. It's Aquanil, yes. It's okay. Aqu- he he blew a conch cell and, and and a giant monster squid appeared and he caught it with a single spear and pulled it forward. That's some that's some superhero shit right there. Yeah. And and I, I, I did like how they immediately were on the same page. Rumple wasn't doubting him, he wasn't calling his plan to question, like some other people on the island. Oh my he God. was like, I yes. Let, do this. I'm with you. Let's go. Because it is a good plan. It's a, it's a damn s- good plan. Yeah. This is a solid plan. And Neil even has plans on plans on plans, which we see. Because uh, over, we're going to talk, go head over to um, to Peter Pan, who's hanging out with Henry. And uh, then we're going to get into a little bit more of a, a little bit more of that story, a little bit more of that, that crumb that they're, they're throwing at us about the nature of Pan and Rumpel's relationship. They're keeping that card really close to their chest. Yeah, they are. I, I, I keep wondering when, when that one's, when that other shoe is going to drop. And I, I, I thought it was going to be this episode and it's not. Um, yeah. Pan is just still trying to slowly recruit Henry, like mm-hmm. in a very, it, it's not aggressive. And I, and then that's very, I think thematically makes sense to me because like, he's got all the time in the world. He does not have to like go full cult leader on him. He is just like, no man, it's just look how much fun everybody's having. Like it's, and he does this with Neil too, when he's Balefire. It's just like, it's so much fun. Like it's just some, just some, just some guys being guys, some dudes being bros, you know, we're just having a good time. I don't, don't mind the weird problematic dancing. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Anyway, to make you feel a little bit better, Henry. I'm going to play some music for you. And he just starts blowing on the little pan flute and nothing comes out. Like, I, don't, I don't hear anything. I don't hear anything, man. It's great. You're not actually playing it. Which means that at the, at the beginning part of the episode, Henry is not lost. Not yet. Not yet. I disagree. I, I, this is another one of my disagreements here. I don't believe that what Pan later tells him makes him feel lost. Um, yeah. Or would lose him, I guess is the, is the better terminology. Cause I feel like it wasn't damning enough because the difference between the difference between like Emma's come to Jesus talk about like her being lost versus like Henry. I mean, again, he's 10. So it'd just be like, Hey, what if no? Oh, you're right. Mm, I'm lost. So I don't know. Kids. 
Speaking Jeez. of kids, why don't we go to Rumple and his kid? Because we need to figure out what this what this pan flute's all about. Henry can't hear it, but who can and why? I love the more we delve into like Rumple as the dark one dad and like trying to be a dad and because he's not a dad. He's he's just like holding him hostage. So he comes home and he's like, "Hey, Hey, Bellfire, daddy's back from the office, only had to murder about 15 people. What, what's up? And Bellfire is, Bellfire wants to go be a child. He's like, can we just not, he's like, I don't like what you're doing. I don't like any of this. I would like to leave. And Rumble's like, no, you can't leave because I have enemies everywhere that will try to murder you. Um, So no, you cannot leave, which sounds real. What mm-hmm. we later find out is not the real reason uh, that he's weird by by not letting Balefire out into the public. Um, so, Abby, I actually have a deleted scene here uh, from that I believe happens before Rumple comes home with the knife. Okay. But it could it could also be before he comes home with the crown, but I'm pretty sure it's the first one. So there is a scene, and the reason I'm mentioning it is because. It's a little a little moment that are the kind of things we got in the first season, but slowly peter away where you have just like fairy tale characters kind of coming in briefly and then just disappearing forever. Okay. So, so there's a scene where Rumple is chasing a guy through the forest and he corners him against a tree and is like, uh, our deal is done. Your debt needs to be paid. And the guy's like, I got drunk yesterday. I don't have my money. I need more time. Rumple says no. And then punishes him with a hundred years sleep because his name is Rip Van Winkle. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. I just thought that was cool. I like, you know, we, we, th- that was one of those little, those little things that we don't get so much later on. Um, but it was really rampant in the first season. We'd get those fairy tale, you know, references coming in. Um, so I just liked it, you know, and, and you're talking about him trying to be a dad, but he can't because he has his other life. I do like the, you know, having a nod to what that other life is juxtaposed with him trying and failing to be dad character. Yeah, I do wish like, because a lot of the times when we do flashbacks of Rumpel anymore, it's just him alone being weird in his castle and someone bursting in, Rumpel, I need a favor. I can't solve my own problems. Like that's what his flashbacks are. So I wish there were more flashbacks of, especially in this period of time when he is a just absolute menace to society. Like when we do flashbacks now, it's like during Snow and Charming's timeline where he doesn't even need to go be terrible. His reputation lives on. He just sits in his castle and lets chaos come to him. He doesn't have to go out. This, what we're seeing here is his grassroots campaign to being uh, just an absolute, I'm just absolute menace. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, later on, Rumple goes on one of his other errands and decides to come back with a crown because Balefire needs a castle. But what does he find? I this this has such like again this the the dad energy that they're trying to put forward with with Rumple is just disengaged, distant father who's you know this is be kind of the kind of dad they would try to do like on a Disney original film where like you know. A, a dad like the the mom leaves but the mom was the primary caregiver and dad has no idea how to take care of a kid because like rumples is like i had a very big heart to heart with my son i know what we need to do so he gets a crown and he comes back he's like bellfire 
I know you wanted a castle, so you're going to need this very expensive looking crown. And I, oh, he's not here. Hmm, what could have happened? And it's just, it's just like, you know, like, I heard you liked baseball, so I went and I found this mitt in a dumpster. Anyway, he, Balefire is gone, so he goes on a mission to find him and ends up, like, tracking it to some small village uh, where there's a guy, just a nice guy who's probably, like, the union leader at the local factory, is just like, all right, all the kids are gone, uh, we know what we're looking for, like, every, but just, you know, if anyone sees anything or knows anything, please let us know. And then Rumple just kicks down the door and he's just like, where's my son? Very Harrison Ford. Tell me where my family is. He's like, I don't know. A strange boy with a pipe showed up and lured the children from their bed. I love the imagery of the children coming out of their homes because they're not being like zombie led. It's like they hear a war cry. It's like they hear like something. Cause they're all leaving like they're sneaking out to go to like, I, I don't know, a festival because they're all like, woo, let's go. <laughs> Yay. And it's the most innocuous pan flute music. Do, 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 do. The like, pan music kind of confused me because pan tells Rumple, you know, he's, it's not hypnotizing kids. It's just, it's a sound only they can hear who are lost and want, and want to want companionship who want to be uh, have a community and so you know like they're all like dancing around the fire it's really weird and uncomfortable even henry's lulled into it later on but apparently none of this is hypnot hypnotized none of this is induced according to pan he could very well be lying but this was like weird this would kind of lend credence to that of like they're not zombifying going out the door they're just like hey what's that music that's pretty cool. Hmm. I don't yeah, know. I, it was confusing to me. I know. Because I also got the, like, the way that the flute or the, the music sounded was like it was supposed to be hypnotizing. But it did. But the way that the kids were leaving the home didn't sound, didn't look hypnotized. They looked like they were leaving for a party. So I, it, it didn't jive. But anyway, he's sitting on the, Rumple sitting on the roof watching the kids. So he follows the children. And so he follows the children out in the woods and blah, blah, it's pan and they're all having, they're all wearing masks and they're all like. In, in furs. And furs. And it's all, it's, it's weird. It's problematic. It's confusing. I, th this had like, I'm not going to say completely because I've only seen parts of the movie, but it started giving me like midsummer vibes. Just like, if you're going to be weird, you need to lean into it. Don't just give me hints of weird. I want it to be super weird. It wasn't, they didn't follow through with that, which is what I'm disappointed by, I guess. Um, Were you wanting them to have like an orgy or something? No, like, <laughs> I was going to say like, if they're going to be weird like this and then we're going to go to Neverland, I want it to be weirder than, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I can't tell you what that's going to be, but I like the vibe doesn't, the vibe from scene to scene about the Lost Boys and what Pan is trying to do doesn't match up a lot. So it just, again, it's a tone thing for me where it's like, yes, it's real creepy. And he's luring boys from their homes and they're starting some like weird, like, you know, nomad, just campfire cult party. And then it's no, they're actually just really lonely boys, but they're also following the leader here. And it's not a weird, um, not a weird Lord of the Flies situation. It's it's a nice little commune of just some boys that miss their parents and they're not allowed to leave because they also don't like the kids are all real happy during this. Like, especially when we see them back in Neverland with 
uh, with Henry, they're still happy and they're still dancing. So how is the pan flute music not hypnotizing if these are all the most depressed children in the universe? You know what I mean? They're all lonely, lost, and alone. Why are they this happy? Why do they cry at night if they're doing this? It, I don't know. That was I, my biggest problem. I know you've got way bigger things that I'm I mean, not, I'm not even conceptualized. I'm not going to unpack that because that would, that it, it just, it was really weird to watch these scenes. I didn't like it just because it had, a, it, it was, you know, it, there's a, not, it's, it's like a, if, to remind me of like the crucible when he comes across the women dancing in the woods and then they're getting naked and they're performing witchcraft and all this stuff. Like they're, it's, there's something unsettling to me about a grown man who is hundreds or thousands of years old who has uh, turned himself into a boy forever and is essentially hypnotizing children with a song to lure them into an island where they'll never come back. And he's like, these are my friends. These are my boys. These are my lost boys. There's something weird about it. And that's a, there's a weirdness that they don't quite address in that it's a grown man who's luring young boys. Like, it's, I know that's not their intention, and I know I need to kind of take a step back and realize what, what the goal of Pan is, and he, that's not who he is in this show, but it's loaded, and I can't help but, like, be like, but, ugh, ugh. But you're not, you're not wrong, because we know that at some point, spoiler alert, cover your ears for about 15 seconds if you're watching along and not haven't seen it before, but we know that Pan is an adult man who who bears children so you can't go back from that you can't come back to that and be like nope i'm just 16 and it's so crazy like you don't get to walk back from that mm-hmm. like at no point at no point if i just transform myself into a 16 year old girl does that take me away from the fact that i have born a child and lived years and years decades of life and have that experience in my head that would then lead to me being able to exploit teenagers who are still trying to find their way or they're a loss, which makes them even more vulnerable somehow. Uh, but you're right because this is a thing that they don't address enough. And it, it is a problem that is not addressed, but like they lean on even in media because it's the joke about, you know, Edward dating Bella. Like he's a hunt. He's from the twenties. You can't be a full adult. I, like have this much life experience and then still prey on 17 year old girls. And like, this is the love of your life. No false. No, like you can't say that that's not weird. You absolutely cannot. And this is the same thing with that. So that's what I'll say on that. Yeah. And if you think about it in the context of, you know, fairy tales and fairy tales being really messed up. Yeah. This is another element of that. But the problem is there's an, there's a, there's a, um, an element to it they're not they're just willfully kind of glossing over and not acknowledging which is their choice to make but you just kind of are left feeling like oh yeah yeah. because Mm, mm. they're trying to go with the original darkness of pan Mm -hmm. because the original peter pan is 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 just terrifying because from what i'm remembering about things that i've read about peter pan is that the idea of peter pan came from a a, a a child that died young in the author's life. And someone was like, well, now he'll be young forever. And then the idea was, isn't that terrifying being young and immortalized as a young child? Like that's awful. So the idea of like a young child, like a kid who died when he was like anywhere between eight and 12, like having some sort of like monstrous breakdown in their brain and suddenly just like 
picking up other kids and luring them away from their home and things like that. That's not, that's terrifying. It's an eldritch horror of unknown proportions, but it's not creepy because when they introduce the fact that Pan at some point was an adult, that's when you add this extra layer that's just a whole different thing. And if you don't address that you've done that, and since they haven't addressed that quite yet, and we know that, that's what makes this weird. Mm -hmm. So you can't just do, you can't change the story and not think about the implications of it, which is a lot of the times what they do in this show. They forget that there's this weird extra stuff that you've tacked on that if you don't think all the way through, it's not great. So I agree with you 100%. Well, Rumpel does find Balefire amongst the the dancing teens, and the, this whole interaction between Rumpel and Pan, and Rumpel and Balefire, and Balefire and Pan, I didn't like any of this. And like I, this, like it was so. Well, the Rumpel Pan stuff I thought was good because they're they're like I said they're keeping their cards close to their vest, and they're like. There's some, there's a relationship between them, but they, no one wants to say what it is. Not even Rumple to his own son, or rather he just doesn't want to tell the audience. I am, it does make me wonder once we do get the reveal that Pan is his father, I'm kind of wondering if he's just going to mention it all the time. And I'm like, well, why weren't you mentioning it before? Yeah. Like we're just keeping that very close to the vet. I, so the interactions between the three of them and how this whole story plays out to me, it's again, it's weird and odd, but I also kind of liked it because what's funny about these three characters are that Pan is the master manipulator and he does it without even trying. Like Rumple's whole thing is you don't know if you can trust him because he's always laughing like a lunatic while he tells you. So you can't tell what's normal or not. Pan will just look you dead in the eye and just state a bunch of things. And for the most part, he's not lying. You, you have no reason not to trust him. He's telling you the absolute truth. But he, it's the monkey paw, you know, thing. You're, he's not telling you the secret little twist, but he is telling you the truth. Rumpel tries to do that, but it comes off as more nefarious and he often hides the, uh, the crutch of the matter in it. And then Neil just is a product of the two of them trying to work that system. And he does pretty good. He learned to do it and he learned to operate outside of two very manipulative narcissists. And he's a stronger person for strong person for I'm not gonna say stronger person because that would mean it was supposed to happen no he's a strong person because of it and that's why he can think of cool little plans to get around them because the other two can't think outside of the box so I liked this whole scene in the fact that it was just it it was pan playing into rumple's hand and rumple not knowing that that what was what was happening he's literally told him just go ask him ask him if he wants to come home and, and balefire tells him that when he steals him and just drags him home he's like you just had to ask me if you ask me if I would have come home, I would rather come home with you, my father, than go out and be with those weird kids. They just kept talking about shotgunning Natty Light in the parking lot, and I didn't want to do that. <laughs> like, I don't want to do that, and they were kind of bullies. Like, I would rather be with you. I just want you to be more present and with me, not stealing shit for me. And, like, that's just... Their family dynamic is terrible, and watching them all interact together is just horrific and fascinating to me because they kind of get it. Like, the, the writers kind of understood the assignment on this one, but it just didn't play out long enough for it to be satisfying, if that makes sense. It does. Yeah, you're actually kind of helping me see the scene in the way that I think it was intended. I, I kind of, 
I was just a little frustrated because it was so melodramatic at times, uh, especially with Balefire and Rumple. But um, yeah. if you look at the intent of the scene, the way you're describing it, I think it makes a lot more sense. Uh, so yeah, so he gets bail, he gets Balefire back. Ray, oh, but, but not <laughs> for long. Not for long. Yeah, but he got him back. Uh, uh yeah, and yeah. Mm. Bellfire. I poor know. Bellfire, poor Neil. Well, oh. he, well, he's not Bellfire anymore. He's Neil. He's, he's Neil. I do like him getting mad about that. He's like, yeah. I'm gonna go now. Hit someone with a stick. <laughs> because, um, so Gold and Neil uh, come up with a plan to get Henry back. It involves Rumple using some sleeping magic. So all the boys are still they're still partying. They're still living it up. Henry is still just sitting in silence. What is that boy doing with his time? He's got to be so bored. I do like that he he does that, and then when he gets knocked out, he's still just being carried from scene to scene. It was my favorite part of this episode. I'm just like, oh, they just put random kids with short hair or short hair wigs in like a in a flannel and just picked him up and carried him because each time they picked him up, he moved a little bit differently. It was so funny to me. Um, yeah, yeah he, he knocks them yeah. out. He knocks Rumple knocks out the Lost Boys, and it's just like, oh, they're they're only asleep for now. It's like what. Are they going to die later? Oh, God. Well, oh, I mean, no. Rumble will do what it takes, even if it means sacrificing his own life. Well, he oh, shows up at, hero. at Pan's camp and um, he, you know, they have a little back and forth. But of course, Pan knows Balefire slash Neil is behind the tree. So he comes out with his uh, with his bow in hand, with his crossbow in hand. And I have a question. So they have Dream Shade and... I'm I'm a little bit confused about what Dream Shade will do. It's not skin contact, right? It has to be like it has to pierce your flesh and go into I, it. I think so. I was also confused. Um, otherwise, like, why wouldn't you just like coat the whole arrow with Dream Shade, have him hold it, and that would kill him if it could be absorbed through the skin? I well, no, he they they put squid ink on it. Well, yeah, no, but why wouldn't they put Dream Shade on it? Because Dream Shade can kill Pan. Right. So, I mean, I guess if they would have gone through and, well, but they would also have to handle it and they don't have gloves. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe, maybe that's just one of those things where like, I mean. Well, they had to handle been, the, they had to handle the squid ink without getting on their hands. Well, Pan, or I'm going to guess Neil handled it because Neil isn't magic. So it wasn't going to stop his, was it going to, would squid ink immobilize Neil? I thought, I, I mean, I figured it would. I thought it just immobilized magical beings. Mm, I mean, maybe I figured it just immobilized anyone. We haven't seen it work on many people, so I, I think we don't fair. we don't know yet. Because I mean, yeah, if they were well, able it to would because the... Henry, so because Neil puts it on a leaf to shake and then puts it on. Why would he put it on a leaf so he wouldn't touch the squid ink? Like when he shakes <laughs> Rumple's hand, he puts hand. it on his fingers. He's like, no, this is fine, and then he sneezes and touches his eyes. Ah, oh, damn. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, no, but I like this, but you're right. I mean, if they would have just done the, the poison stuff and then like notch the arrow a little bit so that when Pan grabbed it, uh, it would cut his hand open because the way that this worked, I love the idea that this is Pan's party trick, which is why Neil knew about it was like, he can catch an arrow flying straight at his chest. I know I've tried it where like the William Tell thing is something that also happened to Neil. That yeah I like yeah yeah, um so I like that I like the I like that this this little jump and they didn't um 
again, this is this is old Once Upon a Time that I really like, where they do things like this from one episode to another, but they don't harp on it. Like, they showed us one thing, and then they showed it to us again. It's a continuity thing, but they weren't like, remember, last week on Once Upon a Time, catch arrows by hand. Um, <laughs> but this is, this is, this is amazing. I love this, this thing, because Neil outsmarting people is basically knowing that these people have been alive for a bajillion years and they only know a couple of things. They don't do different things because mm-hmm. why do different things when you know what works? Yeah. And especially when you have so many people coming in and out of your life, you just impress them with the trick, terrify them with the other trick, and then they leave. One or, way or they another. die. Or they, di- well, I mean, they leave one way or another. One of those ways could be death. <laughs> they leave the island or this mortal coil. So Exactly. Well, they, they, so they managed to incapacitate Pan, but not before Pan looks him in the eye and goes, hey, Neil, doubt your dad because there's a prophecy. And this is the thing you were talking about before, Abby, where he is telling the truth, but the truth cuts through. And you, you can't, like, you know, Neil has cause to, to either doubt him or trust him because Pan has that voice. The actor is very good at this. Well, you're like, I don't know what you're about. But you're about something, and I'm worried about it. Yeah, because Neil knows. He's just like, Pan doesn't lie to you, but he does tell you things at the perfect moment. Mm-hmm. And so, and and it, and it, and, and it, the whole thing falls apart the moment they get away from Pan. And, you know, Neil is, again, we've got Henry slung over his shoulder when we throw him down. We just get up and throw him down. Poor Henry. We see Henry's butt, or the stunt kids but so many times it's just so I, much henry but i'm like i, I felt so bad because so, what happens then is that they're like oh you fell asleep and he's like i am covered in bruises sticks and twigs what do you mean i fell asleep like this kid traveled miles into the woods and has no idea but just like wakes up what happened oh you fell asleep on the log huh what anyway they're trying to go Neil gets mad, obviously, at Rumpel, and is they the the truth is revealed, and he just like abandons him. He's like, no, go to hell, and leaves. He's like, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna find a way off this damn island, uh, and he gets cornered immediately because he's like tr- he finds the camp that Emma was at, and is excited that he's close. And then Pan shows up, and this was a fun little continuity thing because we we hear Emma say this, you know, like, don't. Is it Emma or Hook? You know, don't go. Oh, it's Emma. Don't go in somewhere unless you know how to get out. And then Pan says that to Neil. He's like, I always, I always told you, you know, Balefire, don't go in somewhere where you don't know how to get out. And then they just steal Henry and drag Neil away. And Neil is just screaming at the top of his lungs. You know, this, this heart broke my heart. Henry, I'm alive. Henry, Henry, I'm alive. Henry, I'm alive. And Henry kind of maybe heard it but not really. Yeah. He heard it a little bit. I, this whole sequence of events I loved, like this was one of like, this was a good part of the episode. Probably one of my favorites. I loved the scene between Rumpel and Neil where Neil asks him to explain what the hell's going on. Rumpel does. And flat out admits, yeah, I was planning on killing this boy. who's going to be my undoing side note. Maybe Rumpel, you should like think about what undoing means. He automatically assumes that means he's going to die. Prophecies are tricky things. Undoing could be he he like he loosens your pants in the middle of a crowd and they fall down and everyone laughs at you. Although that might be a fate worse than death for Rumpel because he hates yeah, being made can't fun be, of. We, let's not be embarrassed like that. Awful. Kill the child. <laughs> <laughs> 
And but he's like, no, no, I changed. But Neil cuts straight to the core and is like, yeah, you say you've changed now because you feel you have nothing to lose. But now you have me. Uh, you have Belle. You have your happy ending. But this child is now could now become an obstacle. And what will you do then? Nothing about your behavior indicates to me you're going to make the right decision. I have to go. Now, granted, is it the smartest decision for Neil at this moment to take Henry away? No, wait until you're off the island. Keep the magic user around until you're safe and then ditch him. Yeah. I, one of the things that they they have with Neil that it, it, it borders on either bad writing or brilliant writing where it's just like, you know, that thing where when you're around your parents, suddenly you feel like you're 12 again. Like you're a full ass adult, but like you're suddenly within their presence and you feel much smaller. Um, and I think that that's what happens with Neil. Like he's fine up to a point, but eventually that kind of breaks away. And now he's mad at Rumpel. And when he used to be mad at Rumpel, he missed that entire point of growing up and dealing with your parent as you age as well. He just left. So he didn't have that middle ground. So it's just one of those, he got mad through a tantrum and he left with his grandson. He's like, get out of here. I hate you. You're the worst dad <laughs> in the world. Slams the door and leaves. Like, I'm going to be upstairs listening to Macy Gray. You can't stop me. Um, yeah. So he but then the follow-up that happens is that Rumpel has another conversation with Belle where she, again, is the manifestation of his, his psyche is, is confirming to him, you know, Neil might be right. You might make that decision. You know, nasty habits, they're hard to break. And Rumpel then just tells her to leave because he can't face that truth that she's right. That in deep and down, he's going to choose the coward's path, which is because why the, dying for Henry was a coward's path. He even says he drops the redemption word in this episode. And he's like, this is my redemption. But then turns on it immediately because a redemption arc demands an actual sacrifice whether it's you know dying for a cause or just doing what you think you're supposed to do like that's the hero's path and he he doesn't do that because he's too you know, like you said he's a coward he doesn't want to get rid of his power even if he thinks undoing means the undoing of the dark one curse he doesn't want that he doesn't want to be undone he doesn't like who he was before then because he can't even think about it because it was centuries upon centuries i I love that they never actually talk about the difference of time periods from Rumples and Balefires versus the Snow White timeline versus the Storybrooke. Like they, we're talking about like a millennia of time that we just don't talk about the the gaps. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, he just doesn't want to get rid of his power at uh, all. And nope. no matter what, like the crux of that is, I'm willing to die, but I'm not willing to continue living without the Dark One power. And talking about nasty little habits my god this one follows us for seasons upon seasons oh my goodness yeah pretty sure it follows us until the end of the actual like M mfing yeah, series i'm pretty sure too yeah well we do we want to close little henry's story before we <laughs> briefly talk about the charming problem again can we just like only do that for like two minutes because i'm getting very angry at all that uh but henry now can hear the music and and, and poor Henry, poor Henry boy, his dancing is, um, it's, it's, I feel bad for him. Like it's, it almost feels like he didn't want to, but the script made him. And so he's just like, or, or it, it had serious, like middle school energy, middle school dance energy. So 
you get the kind of like again this is for the most part and this is this is me speculating 100 percent uh for the most part the first two seasons the actor who plays henry is only dealing with adults and not doing anything ridiculous but then suddenly we put him on the neverland set full of a bunch of kids that are like two to five years older than him who he probably idolized and thought were super cool and he now has to dance and he is in his awkward don't look at me don't conceptualize me don't perceive me phase you need to dance around this fire like a lunatic and he uh, uh, and just it made him want to die inside like I felt for him in that moment of just being like I can't I'm the only one in a plaid shirt. I hate this. My mom dressed me wrong for this party. Uh, so yeah, that's that was that was me. Um, that was my take on this scene is that the actor himself was so uncomfortable doing yeah. this in front of a bunch of kids that he like it's like a middle schooler in front of a bunch of high schoolers. He just desperately wants them to think he's cool, but then he's being asked to do this. And no one's going to tell him he can't do it. Or he's not, he doesn't have to do it. After he, he spent like half the episode with his like butt in the air, just like yeah. as, as, as people drag a boy reaching puberty, they just cart him and carry him around. Like this, this episode is just nonstop humiliation for this young man. Oh, poor. And you've kind of, I feel like you can feel it. You can feel his awkward because he's always very like, and, and it's not, I don't think it's any other writing where it's just like when he's interacting with the adults, he just has a little bit more of like, he's trying to like be a little bit more impressive because he's small and he wants them to really like him and he has to be on set and they probably treat him like a tiny little guy. Like, oh, you're so great. Yes. But then with the other kids who probably just treat him neutrally. Oh, you're the star of the show. Okay. They don't probably don't bully him, but he was probably just trying to make it seem like, oh no, I'm, this is what, this is just me all 100% projecting by the way. <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, poor Henry. But he he gets convinced that he is lost. Um, and, and, he now he dance. The pe- and now we dance. I am lost. Now we dance. Da, 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 da. All right, can we just like blow through all the, the Emma charming yes. stuff? Because I hate it. This was all just... We don't need this. The only thing I liked was, was the coconut moment, which, side note, was actually apparently a real coconut. It was not a prop. So they actually like, oh. drilled holes in a real, which I was surprised at, considering how perfect the lines were on the broken coconut. But it was real. I mean, ah, uh, mm, uh, mm, I don't know if I believe. Mm. I believe that it was a real coconut. I just think that they added to it mm. a little bit because uh, it, it did. It did have that vibe of CG a little bit. I think it probably. Oh had, yeah. Oh the seat. Oh yeah. When when the lights are going up. Oh that was hundred percent. Like oh thank that, God. I was the like, light oh, was Beth, no no. It was a real oh, coconut. Like Beth, you sweet summer child. The, no honey. <laughs> a candle was not going to make that glowing light. No, okay. that was a hundred percent magic. I was magic, one. Magic. I was very concerned about you for a second, Beth. I was like, no, <laughs> Beth. Uh, but to be fair, I, I know this because I did the first six scenes of Monty Python for a uh, speech class one year. Uh, if you hollow out a coconut and dry it for a little bit, it does make the sound of horse hooves when you clomp them together. So just mm. FYI, that was real. Um, so, yeah, let's just do some footnotes. So basically, Tinkerbell finds out that they don't have a plan to get out. Like, their whole plan is to grab Henry. End of plan. And she says, no, that's idiotic. And don't come back and find me until you have a way out. And Emma says the line, yeah, I learned that uh, you don't go in somewhere unless you have a way out. And Regina, oh, did they, did you learn that at jail or bonds person school? Which I love that they keep saying bail bonds uh, person. And I understand why they're trying to do that, but it just doesn't 
hit right for yeah. whatever reason. Just like so, it's just you know, bail bonds person school. It's like where'd you go, loser school, and get a degree and being a loser, loser. It's like oh, the, the jabs in this episode are bad. Um, and she's like, no, Neil told me that, which we learned that he learned from Pan later. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so they go find his little cave, and we get this. I like this from Emma because Emma's kind of breaking through a lot of her grief and she has kind of a little bit of a breakdown. They find the coconut with the little tiny tea light that projects magically onto the ceiling. It stars. And my favorite is that like they immediately find a clue and you're like, yes. And then it's immediately shattered of hook going. No, he probably, he put it in code. He put a star map in code, please. Please tell me more about how you star mapped in code. I have questions. Because he's a pirate. Pirates well, just know I guess. these things. He was a Balefire was a pirate for like forty five minutes. Okay, he learned a few things. <laughs> he's he like the best student in the world. Uh, he, I I like this too because again, Hook has this is like them laying a little bit of the groundwork for uh, Hook and Emma mm-hmm. because this Hook. I like because he's just desperately trying not to tell her that her dad is dying, but he also thinks she's pretty. So it's tough for him. He's having a hard time. Yeah, and also that... he is also. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say also he's sad about Neil as well. Like it's all very complicated emotions for Hook, probably more emotions than he's felt in well over 30 years. Yeah, I think my what I was going to say is my I think one of my favorite moments for Hook in this episode is when he confronts David uh, who for some reason is just like, I've got to lift up this thing by myself to get into the cave. Cause I got to prove to you guys, I'm strong hook. I got to prove to you. I got muscle and I'm going to take my shirt off. Well, I can't because of my wound, but, <laughs> no. but believe me, my pecs look amazing. They look great. <laughs> and I like when, you know, hook is, you know, like, t- like confronts him about it. And he's, you know, basically says, why don't you care? Why don't you care about your family in this moment? Why don't you care to tell them? Why didn't you care to tell the truth? And this is seems very uncharacteristic for Hook, but in the moment, I feel like no. he's pirate's code. No, I feel like it, it, for Hook in the past, it's Hook hmm. right now. Like Because his, yeah. no, because his hang up here is give them a chance to say goodbye. Because mm-hmm. he did not get a chance to say goodbye to Mila. Mm-hmm. He watched her die and didn't get a chance to say goodbye and walk away from like he didn't get a chance to say goodbye and I love you. So he doesn't want Emma to have to watch her dad die and not be able to say goodbye or any of those things, which is exactly what Emma's upset about because she didn't get to say anything to Neil. So I I love early hook. Uh, Early hook is so much more in tune with like emotions, which I think is great. Like it's a great characteristic for a pirate, especially a captain. This is good management skills. Yes. And yeah, and then uh, Emma has that breakdown uh, as they're looking at the map because they can't get out and she recognizes he's gone. He can't like her and Henry both have the realization in this episode that that he's gone, that he's dead and he's not coming back. I think Emma's realization was a little bit more emotionally gripping than Henry's, not faulting the actor. I'm just thinking the scenes, but she has a full breakdown and then Mary Margaret has a full breakdown. And oh, God, this so first sad. moment broke me because like, I, yeah, as a mom, she's like, I don't know how to comfort my daughter. That's the first thing you learn in mom school. And I didn't get a chance to do it. I don't know what to do. I hated David in this moment because he's just so, like, there's nothing you could do. We, we, we're doing everything. I'm like, David, no, you're not. No, you're doing absolutely 
uh, less negative than everything. Uh, I do like this because a, and this is, this is coming from somebody that has just recently lost somebody. Uh, but that moment where you're not quite sure, like it's not the acceptance, but it's the realization that someone is gone, gone. And that's what Emma has where it's just mm-hmm. like for a little bit, maybe in the back of your brain or like you're holding on to some memories where it makes it feel like they're still there and they're still present. And the moment where it's like, if only we could ask him, but we cannot, we absolutely can. I mean, obviously we know that we can, but we, at this moment, she is just like, he is gone and he is not coming back. And this is a very real reaction. And I very much felt this to your point about Mary Margaret's breakdown again, felt this. I, I, again, like there is a point where when people die or when like there's grief in the family about stuff like this, sometimes you just can't like you could live with a person for your entire life and have no idea how to comfort them in a moment like this, because no one is equipped to deal with this, not a single person in the universe. So it's a little bit loaded in the fact that this is just like an emotion. I think a lot of people feel, but she's also compacting on her own problems of the fact that she just, there's so much about her daughter's life that she doesn't know. And it's her own fault as we've talked about, this is her doing the choices that they made are why they're there. And she's not ready to deal with that. She made bad decisions that didn't blacken her heart, but they had real world consequences that she's not, she doesn't want to deal with. She doesn't like it. She rejects these feelings. So, so there's one note I want to make about this and I don't want to get into it in detail. I just want to make a, put a, you know, put a note in it for later. Cause I think this is going to be an ongoing problem is the show rightfully explores Mary Margaret's fraught relationship with her daughter and her guilt about leaving her and everything that that entails and trying to build something with her, trying to build that connection. They're not doing that with David. And I don't like that they're not doing that. They're not letting David have his own feelings independent of Mary Margaret of struggling, struggling to connect with his daughter. They did it a tiny bit at the beginning, early season two. And then they just stopped. Like David is only there to, you know, tell Mary Margaret they're doing their best and to keep secrets from people. Like he's not a he's not a person who's having emotional journeys right now. And I don't know why they're doing that. Yeah, I again, I know we're not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I, I've noticed it as well where I'm just like, he does not care nearly as much as Mary Margaret does about the lost years. And Again, because they don't explore it, we can't even like give him a passive like, well, he's a little bit more pragmatic. He's not bonded with Emma as much because like Snow, a bond, Mary Margaret bonded with Emma the moment she came back. Like the moment she found out her daughter, like she's like clung to her. She's like, ah, this is my daughter. I love her and I'll die for her. Let's, yes. I don't think Charming had that feeling. But they don't explore this. They don't explore the the not bonding immediately thing. Uh, which again, a big conversation that we're not going to have. But I I also recognized it. But it did lead to me laughing out loud and needing to pause the episode when Snow is, Mary Margaret is having a very real, like, problem. And she is going through a lot of emotions. And then she's going through so many emotions that she can't deal with. She starts doing that thing where you start making up ideas to be sad about because it's easier to be sad about pretend things. And so she says, I don't know what I would do if I lost you. I would never move on. <laughs> and And charming, like you know, not suspect at all, grabs her by the shoulders. No, you must move on. You must continue living. It's like, not, what not, are you talking about? Not there's about? a reason for me to tell you. I swear there's not. But yes, do move on. It's just, it's that scene 
from uh, Billy Madison where the one kid's like, I wish I could go to high school. And he grabs him by the face. Don't you say that. Don't you ever say that. Never, never. Uh, that's exactly what he does. Like, he's just like, he's sweating this whole time. I love that these last couple of episodes, he's just broken out in the fever and no one said anything. Just like, wow, Charmic sure sweats a lot. He's like, no, you must move on. Find somebody else. Find somebody that's not an idiot. It's fine. Somebody who's not going to get nicked by an arrow and die. What was that? Nothing. Let's go. Uh, and yeah, he just waves it off and Snow's like, I guess. <laughs> like, she's so in her own grief that she doesn't notice that her husband's literally dying in front of her and almost telling her three times a day. Because he may die any moment or by the summer or in 15 years from now. Who knows? Hook's not a doctor. Yeah, yeah. Dream, dream shade. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. Well, guys, that is season three, episode four, Nasty Habits. It's, um, this episode got very good reviews and I can understand why. Because the the exploration of the relationship between Rumple and Neil and Neil's growth as a person, I think, are all... For the most part, done well. Again, I do not like Rumpel's side projects with Belle, the 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 mirror woman. I don't like those, and I don't like what they're there to do. Um, but I really like Neil in this episode, Abby. I know you said you like Neil in this episode, and I that's the reason I think this episode stands out is because of him. And the actor is getting to like be a legit badass, and I really like it. Yeah, I saw it in this episode. I was like, okay, all right, I get it. I see it. I see what's happening here. I'm with you guys. Uh, yeah, this, this, I think my, my biggest problem, like, like we've talked about, it was just a lot of the pan stuff. They, they fumbled the bag a little bit. Uh, mostly because I think that they were totally trying to not make it as dark as they were implying, which you got to really lean into those things. You got to lean into whatever you're going to do. And yeah. if you're not going to do it, it's just not going to hit right. But the actor could have done it. Like, the guy that plays Pan, I don't remember why, but I remember not caring for him much. I don't know why. I like this stuff. Like, this is going well. I don't remember why I disliked this. I don't remember what I disliked about this season. Like, I don't remember if it was just, like, an overall feeling. Maybe it was plowing through seasons one through four all in, like, one weekend. Maybe that was the problem. So, I don't know. I mean, I I think I wasn't a fan of leaving Storybrooke, and I am starting to notice the the lack of Storybrooke. And a little part of me wishes that we just get an episode where where we're just in Storybrooke, focusing on the side characters, it, while everyone else is in Neverland, and we just see what they've been up to this whole time. It's not going to happen, but I'd like that because I'm starting to I'm starting to feel the loss of Storybrooke in this season, and I think that was a big problem, but. I remember I also kind of, I think I attached that to Pan and that's not fair because the Pan stuff is, I, I remember when, when we, when we talked shit about it, people were like, no, 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 it's actually better than you give it credit for. And, but the, it's also once upon a time in Wonderland, Abby, we get proven I know, wrong I was gonna say, We've been wrong before. So. <laughs> well guys, thank you again for joining us for this episode. Um, we want to thank all of our wonderful patrons Oh, for supporting us and being there with us. We have a, a brand new uh, special Patreon episode for our our dearies and our snow queens. It's a review of Amazon Prime Cinderella. Oh boy, guys. Oh boy. Oh boy. 
Oh boy. oh boy. And we have a special guest on that one. So be sure to, if you're a patron, be sure to check that out. Uh, and our Snow Queens, thank you to Daisha Thompson, Patrick Stevens, Jacob Fulcalt, Philip Korn, Samantha Hussle, Brian Sanina, Lisa Slack, Lindsay Alice Halleck, Paul, and Ryan Gregorikos. You can support us on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash OUA timing. If you want to also listen to the Cinderella episode, it was. It was, it was an experience, you guys. Oh, my God. Uh, you can join our Facebook group. That is facebook.com slash group slash OUA timing. You can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can find us on Twitter at OUA timing. I am personally at Beth Elderkin. And you can find my breakdowns of various Cinderella movies I've been watching because I've gone down a rabbit hole at just underscore Abby. And we will be back next week with season three, episode five, Good Form, where I think we're finally going to address the whole charming is dying thing. I'm curious to see how that turns out. Hooray! So thank Wait. you. What? No, <laughs> yeah. Just, hooray. Wait. Hooray. No. Hooray. He'll be fine, guys. He, he lives. He's in later seasons. He fights Bo Peep with Princess Anna. We've Maybe got it's a triplet. It. We I forget how this goes. Maybe it's like a, a secret triplet. Oh, I think. Oh, my God. Is there one? I think there was one. We'll find out. Anyway, thanks, everyone, for joining us. And, Abby, we'll see you next week. See you next week, Beth. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.